What's the first thing you think of when you hear the word life? Don't shout it out. But the first thing you think, the word life appears in many memorable phrases that are used in everyday conversation, in songs, in movies. We could sit here all day. That's life. Hold on for dear life, your money or your life. Life in the fast lane. Not on your life. A new lease on life. Lead a double life. Set for life. The time of your life. Full of life. Low life. Get a life. Art imitating life. Facts of life. Prime of life. Larger than life. Circle of life. Love of my life. As if your life depended on it. A matter of life and death. Choose life. Reverence for life. Many of these phrases with the word life in it communicate something important is at stake. And that's the case in the book of Deuteronomy, our next book in the Bible. The word Deuteronomy means second law, meaning Moses restating of God's laws that we first heard in Exodus. And the events described in Deuteronomy take place 40 days before the Israelites are going to enter the land of Canaan. They're currently in a place called Moab. Moab is today in territory that would be in west central Jordan. And Moses issues in Deuteronomy a call to obedience, and he reviews God's covenant with the people. He recounts the experiences of the last 40 years in the wilderness. He restates the Ten Commandments, and he gives guidance on different aspects of life that the people are to follow. He tells the people that he is going to die before they enter the promised land. And he tells them that Joshua is going to be his successor and their new leader to take his place. And he gives the Israelites basically three reasons to renew their obedience to God. God's history of goodness to the people, the wisdom of God's laws, and God's promise of blessings for the future. And near the end of his third major speech in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 30, in verses 15 to 20, Moses presents two ways of living. And he presents those as a choice that people have. You've got to choose and understand that it's a matter of life and death. This is what he says. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord your God, that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways. If you obey the command, 
Keep it going. Thank you. Commandments, decrees, and ordinances. Then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and to serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Picture yourself in the crowd listening to Moses that day. When he says, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. I think most of us would say, I'll take life and prosperity over death and adversity, wouldn't you? But how do you do that? Well, in Moses' speeches in the book of Deuteronomy, he comes back over and over again to, this is what the Lord has done for us, this is what the Lord commands us to do, so that we may live. And the terms of that renewed covenant in Deuteronomy included not worshiping false gods, turning away from unworthy loyalties, turning the heart to God and not following the stubborn desires of our own heart, and not abandoning the covenant with God. The Israelites are to love the Lord God and to keep his commandments so that they may have life. Now, life in one form or another is mentioned at least eight times in Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20, and it's not referring merely to living longer, but Moses is asserting that true life is found in loving, obeying, and holding fast to the Lord your God. That's where true life is found. And God implores the people to choose life, to choose to live as God directs. As Christians, we want to do all we can to encourage the flourishing and the health of all God's children so we may all have life in all its fullness as God desires. My sermon title today is Reverence for Life. And that's taken from the work of Albert Schweitzer, who lived from 1875 to 1965. Schweitzer is remembered for his work as a doctor and a missionary in Africa, for which he was honored in 1952 with a Nobel Peace Prize. Schweitzer was also a theologian and a philosopher. And in Civilization and Ethics, he wrote the following. He said, ethics is nothing other than reverence for life. Reverence for life affords me my fundamental principle 
for mor- of morality, namely that good consists in maintaining, assisting, and enhancing life. And to destroy, to harm, or to hinder life is evil. Now, you can think in your own life, think of any issue that you care about that stirs you emotionally either to compassion or to pity or even to anger that you think other people should care about and use Schweitzer's quote as a guide to shape your response. Any issue you want to think about, my fundamental principle of morality Good consists in maintaining, assisting, and enhancing life. And to destroy, harm, or hinder life is evil. Later in Out of My Life and Thought, Schweitzer said this. He said, the most immediate fact of a man's consciousness is the assertion, I am life, that wills to live in the midst of life that wills to live. Affirmation of life is the spiritual act by which a man or woman ceases to live thoughtlessly and begins to devote himself or herself to his or her life with reverence in order to give it true value. Cease to live thoughtlessly. Begin to devote yourself to your life with reverence in order to give it true value. To affirm life is to deepen, to make more inward, and to exalt the will to live. At the same time, the man who has become a thinking being feels a compulsion to give to every will to live the same reverence for life that he gives to his own. This is the absolute fundamental principle of ethics. I know that's a little deeper than I sometimes go with you on a Sunday morning, but it's very important thought. So I just want to suggest three things to you today. And the first is that reverence for life begins with devoting yourself to your life with reverence to give it true value. If you believe that life is precious and sacred, then you don't want to squander, waste, or misuse your life, first and foremost. And the commandments, the laws, the ordinances that God gives the people in Deuteronomy, they are for their own good. It's not because God loves making rules to say, let me see how tough I can make life for you. They're given for your own good, for your own benefit, to help them lead a fulfilling life and to live well in community with other people. God's wise instructions are always for our benefit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20, Paul tells the Corinthians how precious each of their lives is declaring, do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 
Now, this is not about physical vanity, all right? But what Paul is saying, you're not your own. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Treat yourself with reverence. Uh, Jill and I really enjoyed watching the Olymp Summer Olympics. I'm sure many of you did as well. And it's just incredible watching these amazing athletes who have trained so hard, so long, for a brief chance, in some cases less than 10 seconds or less than a minute to achieve their personal best and maybe win an Olympic medal or set a world record. And the Apostle Paul uses the image of a runner in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 24, to describe the kind of self-control and self-discipline with which you should live your life. Paul writes, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. But I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. The first step in having reverence for life is treating your own body and life as a temple or sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, which has been bought for God by the life and death of Jesus Christ. And so, if we believe this, this shapes what we put in our body, what we do with our body, how we treat it as far as everything from sleep and exercise and diet and self-care and healthy habits. Because reverence for life begins with having reverence for your own life, devoting yourself to your life with reverence to give it true value, to achieve what God wants in your life. Secondly, Reverence for life means we value every human life, every person, from the very, very beginning of life to the end. And this begins even before a child is born, which is what some people think of the most when they hear or use phrases like choose life or sanctity of life or reverence for life. The call experience of the prophet Jeremiah that I read for you a few minutes ago affirms that before he was born, God knew him. God knew him. I want to say that, read it again. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In a similar way, we see with the prophet Isaiah, he declares in Isaiah 49, the Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. 
Thirdly, the Apostle Paul also uses similar language to describe himself in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, saying, God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through His grace. Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Paul all express a belief that God knew them, called them, and set them apart before they were even born. And that has implications for how we view life. Their statements reflect a belief that God has a destiny or a purpose for every person that can be pursued, fulfilled, or it can be ignored, missed, or even thwarted. It is a sad indictment of our culture that there are so many abortions every year. And we should be seeking to help people to reduce unwanted pregnancies and abortions. Because having reverence for life means from the very beginning. However, having reverence for life is also about more than just the issue of abortion. Because if we truly have reverence for all of human life and the sanctity or the sacredness of life, then being pro-life means more than being pro-birth. It's also about supporting and encouraging priorities and conditions and behaviors that help individuals to live, thrive, and survive once they have been born. And that has implications for many areas of life, everything from food insecurity to education to health care to gun violence to having an environment with clean air and water, just to name a few things. I'm an advocate for having a consistent ethic of reverence for life from the very, very beginning to the very, very end. And that's rooted in the belief that human life is created in the image and likeness of God, as we're told in the book of Genesis. I don't know how many of you saw the article I saw in the Cape Cod Times on August 5th. The title of the article was Bitter Burden. Bitter Burden. I saw the headline. I said, oh my gosh, what must be this awful, terrible thing? that this story is about. You know what it was about? Caring for aging parents. And I said out loud, to you, I said, you've got to be kidding me. Bitter burden. You know, in a healthy family, parents care for us for many years when we are young and utterly dependent upon them for survival. And in a healthy family, children should be able to return the favor if necessary without seeing it as a bitter burden. I've told more than one person through the years, you know, your mom and dad, if you were blessed to have them, probably took care of you for at least 16 or 17 years. If you need to spend a few years helping them at the end of their life, you're still going to come out way ahead. Pope Francis said, all life has inestimable value, even the weakest and most vulnerable, the sick, the old, the unborn, the poor, are masterpieces of God's creation, made in his own image, destined to live forever, and deserving of the utmost 
reverence and respect. So reverence for life begins with devoting yourself to your life with reverence, to give it true value. Reverence for life means we value every human life, every person from the very beginning of life to the very end. And that's true no matter where someone lives, whether they're rich or poor, doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter anything else. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 12, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. This includes valuing other people's lives as much as we value our own. Finally, reverence for life should extend through all the areas of our life to all of life. James Brabazon, who wrote a book, uh, Albert Schweitzer, a biography, said this about reverence for life. He said, reverence for life says that the only thing we are really sure of is that we live and want to go on living. This is something that we share with everything else that lives, from elephants to blades of grass and, of course, every human being. So we and our brothers and sisters to all living things and owe to all of them the same care and respect that we wish for ourselves. Reverence for life includes our care for God's creation and for all other living creatures and supporting efforts that lead to health and allow all people and creatures to flourish. And we have to acknowledge and confess that human beings have not done a good job with this at all. In some ways, human beings have been more like a destructive force, disrespecting and destroying other forms of life rather than revering them. And our reverence for life should influence and shape the choices we make in all the areas of our life, from small to big, for little things like how much water we use, what we put in our lawn, what we eat, but much, much more beyond that. Having reverence for all life is a biblical value that's rooted in the story of creation at the beginning of Genesis, even though we may feel like we don't always see it. In some of the more violent passages that we find in the first five books of the Bible that some of us have been reading this past month. However, there are many passages like Job chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, that make reverence for life clear. Job says, But ask the animals, and they will teach you, the birds of the air, and they will tell you. Ask the plants of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of every human being. Poet Mary Oliver, whose work I appreciate so much, wrote, I would say that there exists a thousand unbreakable links between each of us and everything else, and that our dignity and our chances are one. The farthest star and the mud at our feet 
our family. We are at risk together, or we are on a way to a sustainable world together. We are each other's destiny. Good consists in maintaining, assisting, and enhancing life, and to destroy, to harm, or to hinder life is evil. God calls each and every one of us to be a person who has reverence for life. And that means for our own life, for every other person, no matter how young or old or any other thing you want to put on it, and for every living thing that God has made, because each and every one of us is part of God's interconnected web of life that God began weaving at the beginning of time. Please join me as I pray. God, we thank you that you are a creator God, a creative God, a God who is the source of all life. We thank you that life began primordially as you spoke and created it into being. We thank you for how every other form of life that exists, how we're all part of your amazing web of life and creation. And God, I pray for each and every person hearing my words this morning. I pray that you would help to give each one of us, first of all, a deep appreciation for the gift of life that you have given us. And God, help us to not live thoughtlessly, but help us to live with great intention and purpose and appreciation for our one and only life that we experience in this beautiful planet that you've made. We pray, God, also that you would enlarge our compassion, that you would deepen our sense of feeling and caring for our fellow human beings, no matter where they live, no matter how young or how old, how rich or poor, the color of their skin or anything. God, help us to care about enhancing and assisting and maintaining every other life that you have made. And finally, God, we pray that you would help us to truly appreciate how our life is wrapped up with every other life. As the Lord, as you spoke in Job, may we learn from the animals, the birds, the plants, the fish, who all are part of this same connectivity in which we live. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, who bought each and every one of us at the price of his own life. And we thank you for the continuing gift of your Holy Spirit, who guides us, comforts us, and leads us forward. This is our prayer this day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.